Namu myoho renge kyo, namu myoho renge kyo, namu myoho renge kyo. Hi friends, how are you today? I hope you're in good health and safe. You hear me say often that, or talk about skillful means, and that the characters in these stories, parables, whatever you want to call them, these teachings, are personifications of certain aspects of the mind, which leads me to another refrain you hear me say all the time, Buddhism is about the mind, attitude, intent, attitude, intent, the mind. So, as I read the following uh, continuation of the introduction chapter, and it is an introduction. It's an introduction to the Lotus Sutra. It's an introduction. It's meant as an introduction to the ultimate teaching that Shakyamuni is offering the assembly. All the personifications of mental functions, sentient minds, particular paths, Hmm? And so, and this is one of the most confusing things to people who first start to practice, maybe even more for a Westerner, but I don't know, I think Asia and uh, Europe, uh, uh, well, Europe is considered Western too, but anyway. It's confusing for everyone because uh, in this modern age, I don't care where you're from on the planet, we are so capitalistically trained, culturally trained, even though it's China's a communist quote-unquote country, it's driven by extreme capitalism. It's just a matter of who, who's at the top of the pyramid. That's the only thing that's different. So you can call these uh, democracies or authoritarianism or totalitarianism or communism. I don't care what label you put on it. We live in an age where those labels are almost meaningless. They just shift the power dynamic a little bit, right? Because in the country I'm in right now, the United States of America, um, you know, the, the, the label, the, the, the thought police are out there saying this is a Christian, quote-unquote, nation uh, and a democracy. Well, it absolutely is not. Um, There are a lot of uh, fascist Christians today, and you can read uh, Chris Hedges uh, has many uh, well-written books on this topic. He's a seminarian, so he knows of what he speaks. Uh, But there's all kinds of religion, and there's a lot of not religion in the United States. However... The Christians have moved themselves into positions of political power throughout um, the whole system from mayoral, you know, uh, city governments to state to federal. So, yeah, we have people like um, uh, Graham and uh, what's uh, Lindsey Graham. Oh, my God, what an abomination. Anyway, (laughs) that is to say. Uh, that everything, I don't care what label you put on it, as far as politic, uh, politic and influence in the world, and um, certainly in this country, there's no democracy. 
there's an illusion of democracy at some levels to entertain the masses and keep them, you know, uh, convinced. But no, no. Everybody, we know, we say it and we don't even think about it. Everybody in Congress has purchased. It's the corporations running the place and the corporations have their own agenda and on and on and on. So, please, um, let, let's let's uh, get rid of the uh, the faux narrative that meant to entertain and control us. Okay, um, the truth is, oh, I got off topic. I'm sorry. Um, the rhetoric of Buddhist teachings in these stories uses personifications not for us to be led by the nose and told that there was once a Buddha 10 billion years ago who lived here and his land was called that. And we take these stories and we visualize them in our heads and we think of them as actual people or events. Please understand that all of these bodhisattvas, buddhas, and these naming conventions and all of it is speaking to your mind, my mind, her mind, their minds, their potential pathways to enlightenment. And that those pathways, be them individual and unique now, always have led to the same thing, Buddha. And that Buddha, that Buddha-ness, as I call it, just to kind of grasp the meaning a little bit better, when you may have an individual path, of course you do, and so do I. But when we attain that clear Buddha mind, it is not my Buddha. It is not your Buddha. It is Buddha. It is completely universal. Truly universal. In other words, the entire cosmos, all phenomena, works in this way. It is the fundament of what unites everything in the cosmos. So if you really get that, when Shakyamuni starts talking about this Buddha and that Buddha, and for billions and billions of years, he's talking about realizing a potential that has always been and will always be part of the engine of life. In fact, the engine of life. The engine of life is no different for you than it is for me, than it is for that tree, than it is for the solar system, than it is for the entire cosmos. So when you reach into that realm of sentience to actually perceive it, experience it, why wouldn't it be liberating? Why wouldn't it be just so removed from all of the brain activity of accrual and hanging on to it. It's just silliness, right? This is the fundamental teaching of Buddhism. And I say all this again. I know you've heard it before. I'm sorry I'm being repetitive, but what is it? Um, I love that guy, Adam Neely. 
the musician. He has a YouTube channel. He says, uh, how does he say it? Repetition legitimizes. Repetition legitimizes. Repetition legitimizes. <laughs> and he says it like that. Well, not that sloppy, but he repeats it to make his point. Yeah. So anyway, I just really need you to hold that in mind as I continue reading here for the next several paragraphs. And remember, the first part of the Lotus Sutra, and again, this is the introduction, is also a skillful means. In fact, the entire sutra, everything Shakyamuni taught was skillful means. If it were not for skillful means, Shakyamuni would have just sat down in front of people as he discusses in the stories here and enlighten everyone from the top knot on his head or the tuft of uh, hair, white hair between his eyebrows and radiated everyone with Buddhaness. And we'd all be enlightened. But even that example in the Lotus Sutra is a momentary example just to inspire aspiration in people to go, oh, that's what it looks like. And if you've ever heard terms like uh, uh, beginner, uh, beginner benefits or beginner, uh, yeah, in anything, we hear beginner's luck, right? It doesn't have to be Buddhism. There's something about adopting an, a, a paradigm shift, a new activity that enlivens the mind. And when we first start practicing Buddhism, we start to notice things, and it's hard to define, but we notice. So that's essentially what we do when we first start to chant Namu Myoho It's the first time, Namu, that we truly dedicate our lives in our ephemeral mind, our sentience, to actively enliven Buddhaness. How could that, it's like first, it's like a door's been sealed shut our whole lives and suddenly we crack it open and there's light coming from inside. What's in there? That's how our beginning practice is, right? Wow, we know something's happening. And then, of course, we get used to it. <laughs> and then it's not as exciting anymore until it is. So you, you have to keep at it, right? Anyway, so... Let's get to reading. I know I've been accused of talking too much. <laughs> you good men and ladies, it is just as it was incalculable, infinite, inconceivable, asamkaya kalpas, incalculable cosmic ages ago. At that time, there was a Buddha named Sun and Moon Glow. Uh, thus come one, and I think I'll put this in the book, explain what thus come one means. I have before, it may be in the first edition or first uh, volume, I'll have to check. Worthy of offerings a right, of right and universal knowledge, do you hear these terms again now? His clarity and conduct, perfect, well gone, what's well gone? The clinging self, yeah? Well gone. He's liberated. Understanding the world, 
moment to moment, an unexcelled worthy, a regulator of men of stature, in other words, a guiding principle to those who consider themselves leaders, you may be one, hmm? a teacher of gods and men, are they really gods? No, he's talking about functions of our spirit, if you will, our, our aspirational side, right? Mind, Buddhism about the mind. So the gods are not outside of us, they're in our minds, our potential. A Buddha, a world-honored one, because we all want to be one, yeah? Who expounded the true Dharma, which is good at its beginning, good in its middle, and good at its end. Its meaning profound and recondite, its words subtle and refined, pure and without alloy, fully endowed with the marks of pure, white, Brahmin conduct. For the sake of those who sought to be voice hearers, shravakas, voices specifically of the teachings, not just any voice. His preachings corresponded to the Dharma of the Four Truths, there we are again with the Four Noble Truths, with which to cross over birth, old age, sickness, and death into ultimate nirvana, the moment-to-moment cycle, for the sake of those who sought to be Pratyakabuddhas, self-enlightened ones, his preachings corresponded to the Dharma of the Twelve Causes and Conditions, right, the Twelve Linked Nidana, causal chain. For the sake of the bodhisattvas, his preachings corresponded to the six paramitas, right? The perfections. That's in the Buddhism reference book if you need to. Quick check. With, with, with which he caused them to gain Anuttara Samya Sambodai and to perfect, perfect the knowledge of all modes. Then there was again a Buddha, also named Sun Moon Glow. Then there was again another Buddha, also named Sun Moon Glow. Oh, is that a typo? Moon Glow. In this way, there were 20,000 Buddhas, all having the same name to wit, Sun and Moon Glow. All belonging as well to the same clan, namely that of Bhardavada. Wow! Bharadvaja, Maitreya. It should be known that the first Buddha and the last were both of the same name, to wit, sun and moon glow. Both fully endowed with the ten subsidiary designations and both preaching that which is is well to preach, the Dharma, good at the beginning, middle, and end. So, Was there a succession, a historical succession of innumerable years and innumerable Buddhas, all with the same name, over time without beginning, teaching Namo Myoho Rengekyo or Myoho Rengekyo? No, the point of that is simply to illustrate, draw the mind out, hmm? to understand that this potential has always been part and parcel 
everything in the universe, all existence, the engine of life. The karma of the cosmos has always been based in, fundamentally created of this energy. And to witness that energy in formation, the karma, as it happens moment to moment, is Buddhaness. A rock can't have Buddhaness, but it's subject to the same rules of manifestation as you and I. This is what people don't understand about when we hear um, saving or liberating uh, all sentient and insentient phenomena. And we're like, well, how do you enlighten a rock? How do you shakubuku or shoju a tree? That's not what that means. A tree is a tree, and it is manifest of the engine of life just as you and I are. But it has no sentience to know, to witness, to experience the way that you and I do. But of what need does it have to have this secondary understanding in order to be? It just, it just be, <laughs> right? So again, the language of translation, the language of Buddhism, it can confuse, but not because it's meant to confuse. It, it's meant to di dissect the, the engine of life and how it works. But boy, our minds, and it's a part of the samsaric mind, isn't it? Especially in this modern era where we seize every little vowel or speck and anything that we see, hear, or taste, feel, and we build a whole world around it immediately before we take time to understand. Nowhere do we see this more, I think, than in personal relationships. I've often said I, I don't understand how it is we communicate at all. <laughs> because every word that comes out of my mouth, you're going to hear your way. No matter how hard I try to inculcate all sorts of knowledge, unless you listen to me for a while, and that's true of any, any one of us, right? This is what we do in relationships. We begin to hear patterns. We assemble patterns. But here's the, the tricky part. As soon as we hear a pattern, we assume we know. It kills relationships all the time. It happens all the time when I, when I speak in my own relationships. Yeah, I'm not immune to it, right? I'm still a human. <laughs> Believe it or not. And I'll say something, and I know that after the first three words of my sentence... I could tell by her response that she heard certain key words. She manufactured a conversation in her head of what I'm talking about. And the response that comes from her bewilders me. And I know why. She built a whole monologue in her head about what I was talking about without listening to the entire sentence. And even if she did, she's already made up her mind that this is an old tape and I'm going to respond to that old tape with my response to that old tape. And I'm going to say something 
as though I'm fully aware and know what he's talking about. And I'm looking at her like, did you just drop from outer space? Did you not hear what I just said? Yes, I heard what you just said. <laughs> no, you didn't. You heard some of what I said. You picked and cherry-picked the words that you wanted to, that, that triggered you, and you're responding to those triggers, not to me. No, I'm not. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> you ever had that experience? Oh, yes, you have. <laughs> The same, don't imagine that it's any different when you're reading text like this, right? Remind yourself constantly, this is about the mind. These are wonderful stories, but they're pointing to mental functions, personifications, not actual people. It, it'll sink in much, much more deeply if you stay aware. Continuing now. Try to keep my mouth shut. Before that last Buddha left his household, he had 80 princely sons. He was busy. <laughs> the first was named Having a Mind. What do you know? Mati. The second was named Good Mind. Ooh, I can sense some brotherly rivalry there. <laughs> the sixth Whoops, I've skipped some. The third, goodbye. The third was named Immeasurable Mind. The fourth uh, named Jewel-like Mind. The fifth was named Superior Mind. The sixth was named Mind Free of Doubt. And the seventh was named Echo Mind. The eighth was named Dharma Mind. And these eight princes, each holding sway over the four heaven-spanning realms, were men to whom regal bearing came quite naturally. I'm sure you noticed the names. Should I tell you again that Buddhism is about the mind? <laughs> We've got eight different colors of mind here. <laughs> when they heard that their father had left his household and gained Anuttara Samyak sa, yeah, Samyak Sambodai, these princes all cast aside their princely status and followed him out of the household life, opening up their minds to the great vehicle and constantly cultivating Brahman conduct. They all became Dharma masters and planted roots of goodness in the presence of a thousand myriads of Buddhas. Just like today, you and I are part of thousands, millions of Buddhas. All we need do is realize it. Oh, simple, right? <laughs> At that time, the Buddha sun and moon glow preached a scripture of the great vehicle named the Immeasurable Doctrine, which unfortunately isn't part of this translation, but we've read through it before, and I will read through it in the next book. We'll have the threefold lotus again. A dharma to be taught to bodhisattvas, one which Buddhas keep in mind. When he had preached this scripture, straight away, in the midst of the great multitude, seated with legs crossed, he entered into a samadhi called the Palace of the Immeasurable Doctrine, body and mind motionless. At that time, the you know, that's something that we might um, heed in, in our chanting of Namo Myo Rengekyo, right? You're not supposed to be dancing around and, and moving when you're chanting, you're sitting upright, attentive, and focused on the 
mandala. So there we are, body and mind motionless. How is the mind motionless? In other words, it's not distracted, which is Nietzsche's wonderful tool, so amazing, that by giving us a physical object to focus with our consciousnesses, our vision consciousness, and as we chant our oral consciousness, our physical, our tongue, mouth, right? Consciousness, the feeling, the buzzing you feel when you're chanting and breathing, oxygenating your blood. Everything's active. That's why I call it active meditation. Namo myoho renge kyo. Repeating itself. Namo myoho renge kyo. Namo myo. Right? All of that is the function of taking our earthly samsaric tools, all our consciousnesses, and directing them to myoho, in other words, our gohonzon mind. By, by doing all of that, we are shutting down the distractions. The monkey mind, I've got to paint... I've got to paint the garage. I've got to start the garage. I've got to put gas in the car. I've got to go grocery shopping. i got to, uh, what did she say? How am I going to respond? All of that just starts. To, it goes, it just shuts up. It goes away. What an amazing tool Nietzsche has given us, yeah? At that time, the gods rained down mandarava flowers, maha mandarava flowers, manjusaka flowers, and ma, uh, maha manjusaka flowers, and scattered them all over the Buddha and his great multitude. And the whole Buddha world trembled in six different ways. Namo Yeah, It trembled in all the directions. At that time, in the midst of the assembly, bhikshus, bhikshunis, upasakas, upasikas, gods, devas, dragons, yakshas, gandhara, the whole host of them, as well as petty kings, kings, and wheel-turning sages, kings, these multitudes, having gained something they had never had before, clasped their hands in joy and single-mindedly beheld the Buddha. Yet another wonderful word in the midst of those two. Single-mindedly Buddha. Single-minded Buddha. Single-mindedly beheld the Buddha, met the Buddha, contemplated the Buddha. We hear a different verb or in each translation, don't we? But it's the same thing. How do we single-mindedly Behold the Buddha by opening our Gohonzon mind, the Buddha eye. Ah, there's Buddha. Peekaboo. Hmm? At that time, the thus come one emitted a glow from the tuft of white hair between his brows that illuminated, don't miss that word, illuminated 18,000 Buddha lands to the east, omitting none of them just like the Buddha lands now visible. So this is that moment of aspirational inspiration to everyone in the assembly. But it doesn't do any good 
to do to enlightened people by your hand because it's temporary. It's ephemeral. It's something given to them. And that's a big, big, big stumbling block for us. And as we've read many times, this is the biggest stumbling block that practitioners of Buddhism have had for centuries, millennia, thinking that Shakyamuni was the source of Buddhahood. No, Buddhahood is everywhere all the time. He just finished saying that. All that need happen is for you to awaken it. But I can see you're having trouble believing me, so let me just open the gohans in mind in your in each of you, just for a moment, just so you can glimpse that. <gasps> hmm? Maitreya, be it known that at that time in the assembly there were 2,000 million bodhisattvas who wished to listen to the Dharma. These bodhisattvas, seeing this glow illuminate the whole Buddha land and gaining something they had never had before, wished to know the reason for this glow. <gasps> What'd you just do? <laughs> right? At that time, there was a bodhisattva whose name was Fine Luster, Vavaprabha, and who had 800 disciples. The Buddha, sun and moon glow, rising from samadhi, in other words, back into samsara, Through the Bodhisattva Fine Luster, preached a scripture of the great vehicle named the Lotus Blossom of the Fine Dharma, the Sadharma Pundarika Sutra, the Namu Myohore, I'm sorry, the Myohorengekyo, right? The Lotus Sutra. Mm, excuse me. A Dharma to be taught to Bodhisattvas, one which Buddhas keep in mind. Hmm? Sun and Moon Glow for. Sixty minor kalpas not rising from his seat. At that time, those assembled uh, to listen also sat in one place for sixty minor kalpas, motionless in body and mind, listening to the Buddha's preaching as if for the space of a meal. You follow that? So the audience wasn't, and the the teacher, this bodhisattva, expressing the Buddha to these people felt like experienced thousands and thousands of years remaining there sitting. That's not a time, an actual chronological time reference. This time thing is, is playing out already. Hmm? But the experience so vast, right? Could you picture yourself right now sitting there understanding being in the situation of those things that uh, the James Webb Telescope is just now seeing, right? Billions of years ago, just now seeing the light coming from those places. What if you could just go there, a lot of that stuff that James Webb is seeing now, no longer there, right? It was gone who knows how many billions of years ago. Because that's the light that just got here from then. Could you imagine having to take inventory, if you will, with our samsaric mind of the cosmos? 
in its entirety, if that's even fathomable. Of course it's not. That it, it would take so much time. I mean, our lifetimes would have to be extended how many thousands fold, right? And this is what Shakyamuni is saying. This experience so vast, and yet just the time of eating a, a burger and fries has gone by in actuality, in chronology. Hmm? At this time, there was not one person within the multitude who felt weariness, whether in body or in mind. In other words, a reminder that even though they've just had to absorb this vast amount of information and experience, Buddha-ness, they weren't, they weren't tired. They just, in order to fit this in their consciousnesses, it seemed as though it was a vast amount of time, but in truth, time is relative. It's, it's just a vast amount of information and experience. And it just happened in this short 15 minutes. So, of course, you're not tired, although mentally you might be. But the point he's making is that because it's Buddha-ness, it doesn't weir make you weary. It's not pounding on you like samsara does you see it's light after all illumination enlightenment the buddha sun moon and moon glow having preached this scripture for 60 minor kalpas straight away in the midst of the multitude of brahma mara sarmanas and brahmins as well as gods men and asuras proclaimed these words quote this day at midnight, the thus come one shall enter nirvana without residue. And if you look at volume one of uh, Buddhism reference, you'll find the two types of nirvana are discussed in there. And here's a reference to nirvana without residue. In other words, extinction. Nirvana with residue is potential of you and I. You and me. Man, when will I get that right? Right? Nirvana with residue is a bodhisattva. Nirvana is the liberation from samsaric cravings and clinging for noble truth. Right? But remaining a human being to carry out the practice of liberating others. Not, again, liberating others, not for self-gain, although that, that does occur. Our motivation is simply to see other people's liberated from their cravings and clingings. Hmm. The payoff, although that shouldn't be what, well, it's a conundrum, isn't it, in samsara, but the payoff is world peace. You, you, you could term it that way. You could simply say, let's stop this violence, this warring, this competition for stuff, power. It's an illusion. Stop it. Well, the more people 
right? Awaken their Buddha mind at whatever level, the more, the less tension there is in the world, the less motivation there is for this avarice and competitiveness, this anger, manipulation, right? That's what we're trying to tone that down. So that's nirvana with residue, which isn't really nirvana, but close enough, because it does indicate that we are enlightened or working on full enlightenment, right? Awakening comes in stages. Or depths could use a different measurement. At that time, there was a bodhisattva named Womb of Excellence or Embryo of Good Fortune, right? Planting seeds. The Buddha sun and moon glow straight away conferred upon him a prophecy announcing to the bhikshus, listen up, this bodhisattva, womb of excellence, shall next become a Buddha named pure body or pure eyes. Tathagato ran samyak, samyak sam Buddha. A thus come one, a worthy one, a properly and fully enlightened one. When the Buddha had conferred this prophecy, he then at midnight entered nirvana without residue, extinction. After the Buddha's passage into extinction, <laughs> the Bodhisattva Fine Luster kept the scripture of the Lotus Blossom of the Fine Dharma, the Lotus Sutra, which for uh, full 80 minor kalpas he expounded to others. The eight sons of the Buddha, Sun, Moon, and Moon Glow, all placed themselves under the tutelage of Fine Luster. Fine Luster's instructions enabled them to solidify their Anuttara Samyak Sambodai. These princes, that's full enlightenment, full and complete enlightenment, in case I didn't say that. These princes, another word I need to put in the book. These princes, having made offerings to hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of Buddhas, all achieved the Buddha path, bodhisattvas. The last to achieve Buddhahood was named Torchburner. You see how these names are working out? It's the passing on of the teachings of the Lotus Sutra, propagation. And the effect of propagation far reaches beyond the simple associations of person to person. That's critical. We need to do that. But is it, remember the, uh, the story of the 50th person? We'll read it again in this version, this translation. Right. It's imperative that we transmit the teachings of Shakyamuni correctly over generations. And they will continue then to propagate of their own, on their own, through the dedication of people we will never know, right? This is the history of Buddhism. Among the 800 disciples was one named Seeker of Fame, ooh, an odd name, who craved <laughs> advantage and profit. Okay, we know where this is going, don't we? 
who thought he read and committed to memory a multitude of scriptures, derived no profit from them, completely forgetting most, for which reason he is called seeker of fame. This man also, since he had planted roots of goodness, was able to meet incalculable hundreds of thousands of myriads of millions of Buddhas, to make offerings, to revere and to honor them, and to praise them. Maitreya, be it known, at that time can the Bodhisattva fine luster have been anyone else. If myself he's uh, was he, ooh, if I myself was he, oh, you yourself were the Bodhisattva seeker of fame. Really? Not sure I like that. We see these portents now just as before. For this reason, I surmise that the Buddha will this day preach a scripture of the great vehicle named the Lotus Blossom of the Fine Dharma, a Dharma to be taught to Bodhisattvas, one which the Buddha keeps in mind. Again, the mind. At that time, Manjusri, wishing to restate this message in the midst of the great multitude, proclaimed Gathas, saying, and where are we time-wise? Gone kind of far. So we'll save the Gathas for the next video. But in that one paragraph, basically, what Shakyamuni did was take all of that millions of kalpas and cosmic ages and so on and so forth and reduced it to that guy's me and that guy's you. Here it is playing out. Once again, a reminder, these are skillful means to indicate the potential we each one of us have in mind. And the attitude and intent we create and are motivated by is the essential experience in samsara, whether we experience samsara as craving and clinging or we experience samsara as a ground state from which we can enter the lighthouse, if you will, of the Buddha mind. Hmm? All right. Eh, I don't know why I seem to be so colorful today. Um, but thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for your practice. Don't forget to like and subscribe. It's a Bodhisattva act. Helps to grow the Sangha and uh, reach more people with this entire resource. The resource, if you look at the links in the description of not only these videos, thousands of videos, but podcasts, free materials on Threefold Lotus, the bookstore, the mandala store. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, do a kindness for the world and take care of your health. Keep your practice strong. Savor every Daimoku. And I will see you in the next one. Promise. Bye for now.